All right, welcome back to another wild episode. One of these days, I'm gonna make a like an a legitimate intro. This is better though, because before I just like started talking, you know. So, anyways, <laughs> you, gotta, um, you gotta have a little intro. Bring them yeah, in. Yeah, you have to have like something like introduce yourself, but I don't know. I'm not there yet. That takes like extra time, you know. <laughs> so, okay, today we have Jeff Lopez and Zoe. Zoe, you get to be here too, because you're here, so you get to be in it. But you're a part of it. So, well, Jeff, we're, we're a unit. So. Say hi to all the people. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited you're here. So um, when I originally thought of like the idea of doing a podcast for local people, a lot of that came from like, okay, who has been through some wild stuff? And like Durango just doesn't really know that it's out there. And I don't say like Bayfield and all the other places because I don't know. I didn't grow up there. So I don't really, that's not, wasn't my vibe, right? So I really just want to talk to you about your entire life, beginning to end. And I think it's important for people to understand that you can go through some really crazy shit and come out on the other side of that. And you have to raise four kids. Four? Five. Five? Five kids. Wait, who am I missing? Oh, yeah, five. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ranging from three months to 18 years. 18 years, years yeah. Stop. Why am I so shook as if I didn't know that? I don't know, but saying it saying it here out loud, that's a lot. Every time I say it out loud, it's it's a lot for me. Oh my <laughs> god. Like you said, it's been a wild, wild ride. Okay, so let's start from so we'll get back to all the five sweet babies. Does your do your glasses say Lopez on them? They do. And I love that. And I don't have my glasses on. I can't believe I saw that. But proud. those are really cool. Are those yours? Yeah. It's very proud like of who those. I am. That's amazing. From. So, okay, let's start from the beginning. Let's start when you were, so we kind of talked like a smidge the other day, but I was like, no, don't say it. So when you were born, how old was your mom? Like all that, let's so start there. That really does define the start of, of everything. Because like, like my wife put it, the odds were stacked against me from the very beginning. My mom was 14 when she got pregnant. My dad had just turned 14. And, wow. you know, and in, in the 80s, from coming from a Catholic home, that was very shunned upon, right? Especially in this whole uh, era of, uh, you know, the Partridge family type life right. that was right. looked upon and everybody wanted to be a part of. So when my mom got pregnant, you know, there was this whole big meeting and between my grandparents and my mom and my dad, and my dad went crazy and they shipped him off to some like psych ward and you know they shipped my mom off to Colorado Springs to an unwed. Catholic mother's home. No, I because forgot that's about just those what they places. Do, you yeah, know, I, do they still exist now? We so. have to Google that. I don't, think, I don't so. think they do either. And we're racking our brains trying to think of the name of it: uh, Saint Catherine's or Saint Mary, something like that. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. Know, um, of course, afterwards, you know, give us some time, you know, and I was able to come home. But I mean, that was really the start of it: being raised by a fourteen-year-old mother who was shipped off. Right. You know. Man. And she did a hell of a job. She's got her own. That gives me yeah. the chills. She's got her own story too. Yeah. You know, that is oh, yeah. that was probably could you imagine that being your life at 14, 15, or even now that you No. You know, the world is so different now and that just that part of your story alone is like just look at a fourteen shit. year old. Look at a fourteen year old. Can can that can that person raise a child? Yeah. No. No. Yeah. No. Well, and I think also raising a child but being sent away yeah. to do that by yourself with strangers yep. in a world too where what you are doing is so wrong you know you are just 
like the worst human possible is probably how she was treated. So when she went there, did she have you? And then you came back without her? No, I came back, uh, came back with her. They sent my, my, uh, my grandmother, my godmother, they came up and they were able to bring her home. How, how old were you when she came home with you? I think we were three months. Wow. Like so she stayed there for three months mm -hmm. to kind of learn. Was it like a teaching tool, like to teach her how to take care of you? Yeah, because they were, you know, they were going through, you know, high school classes, parenting classes, oh, wow. you know, all this whole nunnery stuff. You know? oh, that's crazy. And even when she came home, she resumed, you know, Durango High. But so hold up, I don't know why in my mind I thought that she lived in Colorado Springs. They shipped her there. Yes. And then she got to come back. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. So okay, so she came back, and then she went back to high school. And you would just stay somewhere while she was in high school for the day? No, I went to high school with her. You went to high yeah, school with so, her? Yeah, uh, and actually it's kind of, I don't know how much truth is to it, but she claims that that was like the, the start of when they were, you know, accepting that and maybe having childcare for right. these young women who are experiencing pregnancy so they can still get their diploma. But Well, I'm sure there is a lot of truth to that. I don't know where they go now, though, because that's not a thing it, it, now. They erased At it. least yeah. not here, yeah. It, it's a... But I think it was a thing back then. Mm -hmm. There was like the... And that was back in like the home ec days. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to like learning how to, you know, crack an egg. And um, you didn't learn how to balance a checkbook. I always thought that was or kind of taxes, a wild ride. Or yeah. fill out a... Any of the things... But you know how to make a pie you know. and stick a key into the baby you take home. But <laughs> <Yeah>. anyways, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those so babies. did your mom graduate high school? She did not. She actually had to get her GD. Uh, she tried to go to cosmetology school, um, you know, trying to just doing do something else. what young women do. Just yeah. try to find their way. She's know? trying to survive yep. with a baby. Yep. So, okay. So did she live? She lived in Durango. She didn't go to high school. So then what was your childhood like with her? not graduating high school. I mean, obviously you guys grew up together. Yeah, I, it's been me and my mom since day one. Um, do you have siblings? I do, but Alex is nine years younger than me. Camille's 15 years oh, younger Oh, okay. So they didn't really grow up essentially with you then? I raised them. I've been raising wow. kids since I was nine years old. Oh my gosh. Yep. I That's remember crazy. making them, you know, eggs and toast for breakfast, getting them ready yeah. for school. You know, all through summer I watched them. Uh, but that was just what we did, you know, and my stepdad was an amazing part of our life. He came into my life at four, um, but he was a hard worker, working mm. every day. I mean, I remember we lived, when we moved to Ignacio, he would walk to Durango every morning to go to work, you know, so mom went to work, dad went to work, I took care of the kids. He walked? You guys can't see the look on my face, but I'm sure it's the same as everybody who's listening. That is a long walk. My dad walked, yeah. my dad walked from Chlor Chloride, Arizona. Back to Colorado to see his daughter graduate. Oh my God, are we gonna cry? I might. Oh my God. I'll, that to is. To everybody out there listening, stepdads. Their whole other vibe. Absolutely. They, they, nobody's got anything on stepdads. Yeah, no, I agree. Mine. And so is he Is he still alive? Is he oh, still. Yeah. And he still lives in Ignacio? Yeah. Is he still with your mom? No, but they're best friends. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, some people can do that. Some people can get that divorce together. and, you know. So you raised your brother and sister. So what was your high school like? Let's kind of move into that era of your life. 
yeah, I mean, so I had pretty much the basic uh, childhood. You know, my mom met my dad when I was four. So, you know, we just had that basic childhood. And everything was good. But I grew up in Ignacio. I love how you say you had a basic childhood. You know? Like, you had... It was not just basic. It was hard. You know, it was building who you were. I guess that's what my parents made it seem like. You had a loving childhood with your mom. But I do know that it was, they they struggled every day. Like I said, my dad walked to fucking Durango, 17 miles. So how, (laughs) how, I know we've moved past this, but how long did he do that for? Walk to Durango? Uh, Years. Yeah, years. Years. Just years. Um, And then growing up in in Ignacio, you know, obviously you're, you're introduced to the alcohol really early. Yeah. Um, I remember sixth grade, you know, sneaking off with the buddies and drinking and stuff like that all kind of basic stuff but yeah high school is kind do you of think it, that was like a peer pressure like do you think that you just met the wrong friends like in in middle school that wanted to do those things like let's talk about that like just for a minute like what do you think led that for you at that age unfortunately being from Helltown and anybody who out there is listening is from international knows that it, it it's not peer pressure it's an expectation it's just what you do that's what you do yeah Unfortunately, alcohol has got a tight grip on that town, and it's just what you do. Yeah, that's hard. It is. But it's know. also true. Well, I, I, you I, know? I got a buddy who died 10 years ago, and mind you, I'm only 37. He died of cirrhosis of the liver. 27 wow. years old. It's a lot of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it's just it's an expectation in Ignacio, and it's really it's scary. You know, you grow up thinking – Who's going to be the next person that dies in an alcohol-related accident? You right. Know, and we lost. So, I mean, tons of people. I mean, countless people to, to DUI-related accidents. Um, and it, it's almost like an, an expectation. Right, right. So then that, if you start in the sixth grade, so then that led you into high school mm-hmm. and all the things in high school. Were you, did you do any, like, sports or, or activities outside of regular classes in yeah, high school? Yeah, I, lo- I loved football. I played football from the time I was in middle school, and I was hoping to play in high school, but that's when things got a little crazy. My mom, I think, was trying to do something better for us, and she moved us to Durango. Okay. Uh, but moving from Ignacio to Durango, again, Very big difference. anybody out there listening knows that Very that big is difference. hard. Yeah, Very hard. Is. A whole new social group, a whole new academic group. Ignacio is behind. Yeah. You know, and so I think when I started uh, high school, freshman year, everybody was so much more advanced than me that it almost, you know, I felt kind of shunned, just pushed to the back. And I'm already a timid person. I don't like to be the center of attention. I don't like to ask questions. I don't like to ask for help. And so and with that mindset, it just, you just get pushed to the back. And then you find the people who, are the same as you, the people you identify with. It's interesting because this is the sounding foundation for millennials. Back in that world, if you were behind um, academically, you were straight up shunned, period. There was no help for you. There was no like, and the world is very different now. And so you see adults like us that are still trying to figure out how do I read a book, comprehend it, test on it, and be successful on it because- back then it really was either you could or you couldn't that's not an unrealistic expectation yep. and so i feel like you are part of that sounding board is why is has to be why they said we have to do things different yep. we have to change things because you can get caught up very easily if someone would have just noticed and taken a little bit of time to be like okay 
you moved here from Ignacio. Things are a little bit different academically. How can we help you? Where are you struggling? If one person would have taken the time, that could have changed your life. Anyways, I just got on my own rant. But it literally is a sounding no, foundation. I mean, it, it, it really is. And if you look back, and you can take 10 people who are just like me, and you look back through all their report cards and all the, you know, Jeffrey so, shows so much potential. Jeffrey's so smart. But they need to be led. Yeah. You know, children need to be led. So had, yeah, had somebody maybe taken the time, it could have been a different path. But yeah, yeah that's. Right, right. That's how it, uh, how, how it happens. It's just, you know. So, okay, so you your go. freshman year, you come to Durango High School and you meet kind of your own crowd. Uh, well, I, I try to do the, you know, I try to do the whole high school thing. You know, I tried to play football. I tried to, you know, really make it, you know, like I tried my hardest. I really did. Right. But there were so many different social aspects and academic aspects that were just like so overwhelming for me. And my mom and my dad had split for the first time. So there wasn't really a structure there. Um, you know, and there is, of course, everybody has an excuse, but this is how it happens. That's this, this is not even close to an excuse. The downward slide that happens is it just, you, you start to realize that there is no help. It's not going to change. Well, you're you also do a, your own a thing. kid. And you're a kid, and then you start to meet people who are like you. You know, yeah. I, I met um, two of my closest friends who are still my closest friends to this day. They're my brothers, um, my freshman year. And we were all going through kind of the same thing. Yeah. You know, we, and we all come from completely different walks of life. Uh, my best friend, Brett, he's, you know, you're, you're a standard cowboy. He, wear, he's, he wears Wranglers and cowboy boots and you know, we've done a bunch of hunting together. And, yeah. You know, and then you got my buddy James, who's like this hard rocker, Pantera dude, long hair. You know, but we all just came together because we were experiencing the same thing. Yeah. And to see that from different walks of life was kind of eye-opening to me. Like, you know, yeah, I'm not the only one going through this. Yeah. And we can we can bond over this. Unfortunately, when teenagers are left to bond to bond over on, hardship, on, over hardships on their own things start to really right. take a turn, you know? So what does that, what does that look like? What do you mean? So we always say that, you know, pot brought us together because we were the pot smokers, you know, so we, were, oh, we okay. were smoking weed and we were drinking, you know, cause you know, fuck high school and you know, fuck the football team cause they're racist. Right. You know, right. so might as well just, you know, skip school and get high and drink. Freshman year goes into sophomore year and then, you know, enter, um, they call it uh, I believe it's called dimethazine can't really remember the name is of that it. a is that a drug it is it's a why do I not know what that is it's a synthetic big pot it, no it's, an, it's a synthetic uh, amph amphetamine okay you no know, so it was the I've first never even heard of it. dimethazine dim ah, I can't remember but, we uh, could probably Google it, but I don't know what that is. I don't know. I've never heard of it. But do you know, what, the, that, yeah, do you know the, what it is? First time that we really experienced, you know, a stimulant, amphetamines. Oh, okay. You know, and it was just kind of cool to hear. Like wait, was it like at a party? No. So, you? no like, like, how did it happen? Like I said, we really liked, we really liked to be outdoors. We really liked to go, uh, you know, fishing and camping. And yeah. So one of our favorite things to do is go cat fishing, night fishing at, at uh, Navajo. You know, you take a little tiny blue pill and we can fish all fucking night, you know? It's crazy that you guys were like, let's take this and go fishing. That's, just, That's you know, not what I expected Colorado you to say. Boys, you know, yeah. this is what we do. Yeah. You know, and then I still remember the first time it was talked about like buying some actual meth. And back then it was uh, crank. 
mm. you know, very low, low, low grade amphetamines. And, you know, we got our hands on some and, you know, here, you know, we got, you know, three 15 year old kids trying to, you know, smoke crank or do crank and not really know what, what the fuck to do. That's what I was going to ask. How did you guys know what to do with it? So unfortunately. Someone showed you. Yes. Right. Somebody very close to me. Yeah. I love this person to death. I will, I will always love them. And yeah. we've, we've been through our own hardships and. Hey, like I was telling you, they could do an A and any documentary on people that I know who've come through this because she's also clean, yeah, completely clean in her life. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's like she's watching us over here act like fucking idiots, and it's like you know what? Go get me a light bulb, some salt, and I'm gonna show you how to do this. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna show you how to do it the right way, <laughs> right. so you don't maybe do it the wrong way, and you yeah. know. And so I mean, so here we are, you know, kind of experimenting with you know amphetamines, but at at this time. Amphetamine was about to take a really big turn uh, and become methamphetamine. It's a completely different form. It's 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 crystallized and it's very potent, very addictive, you know. And here we are, kind of meddling around with this shit. And it's only natural that boom, you know. It, it's just a vicious cycle. So is that cycle. like you do it? That's like what they say you do it that one time, and that's like you just want to keep doing it. Yeah. Well, I can. You know, I can go back to the very first time. Actually, I can rewind very far, far back in my life when I was smoking pot. And it was like, you know, I love doing pot. I'll never do any sort of chemical drug. And then I go to my buddy's house to score a bag of weed. And I walk in and there's 12 people that I don't fucking know. They're all older than me. And I can definitely tell they're doing something other than the weed because they got the tin foil and the baking soda out. You know, I come to realize they're smoking cocaine. And I'm just there to buy a bag of weed. Right. But they don't know that. And so, you know, you join the circle. It's just expected you to take it. That hit. peer pressure expectation. And so, I yeah. mean, that was the very first time that I ever did a chemical drug. And that was when I was like, I will never do chemical drugs. Never, never, never. And it was so quick for me to grab that tutor in that lighter and hit, and hit it. And I don't even remember getting high. I, I, don't, I don't remember a different feeling or nothing like that. I did it that one time and then that was it. Do you remember thinking to yourself, this is wrong. I'm not supposed to be doing 100%. this. Like I, I know I'm not supposed to do it. And then your body, it, it, were you just like physically doing it anyways? But your brain was like, don't do this. Like you couldn't explain it any better than that. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm letting down my mom. I'm letting myself down. I shouldn't be doing this. But there's 15 people in this room who might look at me different if I don't. Yeah. You know? Well, I think there's something to be said about this for you when you did all that is you are trying to navigate how to deal with trauma that came that wasn't yours essentially yet you know you are dealing with things that happened to you from other people's lives and here you are trying to navigate all of that and so that's that's drugs that's escaping it's even what we do as adults we escape by going out having mm -hmm. some drinks whatever but usually we can we can stop it we've already learned our boundaries yeah adults have that mentality yeah. and here like, you yeah. are a, a, a kid going through all of these changes, big changes from even from one town to the next town. That's a big change. It's a huge change. From as an adult, from one job to another job, that's a huge change, right? So it's like here you are navigating all of these things and it's like you're essentially two people. You're saying, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm gonna do it anyways. And then do you just continue to do it? Like what continues to happen from from that point forward? 
yeah, I mean, so exactly from that point forward, it's like, okay, well, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll only, I'll only do Coke and only, you know, now I'm only going to do a little bit of crank and I'll only smoke it. I'll only, I'll only snort it. I'll never shoot it. Keep saying that because it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. So, yeah, I mean, I remember my freshman, sophomore year, that was kind of like, you know, we were just doing our own thing and we were all kind of unsupervised. So we were allowed to really do our own thing. And so it just. Like it, unsupervised, like from your mom. Yeah. Like we, you didn't have any. My parental. mom was dealing with her own thing. She was dealing with a brand new baby. You know, Camille was just born. Um, like I said, her, my, her and my dad had just split. And then, you know, the same thing was going on at both of my other friends' households. So it was just, and we had our driver's license. We all had cars and we all worked at the same place. So we were making money. So it was just like, we were doing our own thing. You're free. And, you know, you're talking like a, a you know, a 14 year old. Yeah. You're paying them $800 every two weeks. I don't got no bills. <laughs> you know, yeah. all I got to do is put gas in my truck and go to school. Right. And I just did quote marks, you know, yeah. go to school. <laughs> <laughs> so we, it, it was just a downhill, downhill slide from there, you know, because then it was, you know, Coke and crank and then enter the crystal meth. And that was, were you a junior or a senior yeah. when crystal meth? I believe I was a junior. So yeah. I'm about to say something that sounds really stupid and I should know, but I honestly, I'm just being honest. What is the difference between crystal meth and meth? Right. So, well, Cause they're not the same, there's, right? There's amphetamines and methamphetamines. Okay. So amphetamines is like your, um, your, Run of the mill, cross tops, crank, uh, bath tip, crank speed is what the, is the okay. name for okay. it. But then there's methamphetamines, which has you know more, more additives, more chemicals in it. Uh, it's a very pure form, and it's it's super potent. It looks okay. like shards of glass. It, uh, and then that's when you you know smash it or do whatever. Yeah, I mean, okay. when, at that time we were just just snorting it and just smoking it. Okay, I didn't see. I didn't even know you could snort snort meth. It, it they call it glass for a reason. It fucking sucks to snort, but <laughs> yeah, that sound, that does not sound fun. It doesn't sound fun, but it, it's so weird because you think. I mean, I can think back to so many times of like doing a line, and after a minute of you know excruciating pain, being like, "Oh, that was so good." How can that be so good for your body if it makes you want to peel your fucking face off? But you know that you know, now, yeah. I know that now, but yeah. I mean, but the addiction takes hold of you so bad to where I, I remember one time there was three of us up at the cemetery and I was using a, a visor mirror to break up some lines. And I broke the fucking mirror. Instead of throwing that drug away and just starting over, like we divvied that pile into three piles and, you know, went through it and yeah. picked out the shards of glass you know, and you were and what, we all, 17, yeah, 16, 17. And so this was your junior year of high school. Yep. And so did you, did you stay and did you graduate high school? No, I, I went until uh, I started my super senior year. And then that's when uh, Kane, you know, I was expecting Kane and they, right. Okay. Uh, they, they basically, they pulled me in and they told me like, you know, you, you can try, I mean, you can Go to school every day, go to every class, and maintain a 4.0 average, and you're still not going to graduate before you're old enough, but we have to keep you up. What? So, yeah, so we just recommend, I was, what did I say, babe, third? And remember I told you I was like third in my class, but third bottom? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, not, three, not 297 out of 300, <laughs> but three. Out of 300. Oh, like, my God. There, there was just no. But, wait, but what do you mean by that? You mean like you were failing? 
Super is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. but you were you failing because you weren't going to class and you weren't doing your work? Hundred percent. Yeah, we never went to class. Was, so we'd show up and gather everybody, and then we'd go do our own thing. But also, you didn't have anybody who was like, "Hey, how can we? How can we help you? How can we fix?" You basically were told you might as well leave now because you're going to fail. They were they gave you your your future on a plate. They said, "Here, we they, don't think you can do any better than what you've done." And they, I watched them do that to hundreds of kids in the, in the two years that I was, you know, from sophomore to senior. Year. They, they the just world was so different. They just then. didn't know what to do with us. Yeah, there was an epidemic. Yeah, taking that's hold. it right there. There was an epidemic taking hold in our high school, and they did not know how to handle it. Yeah, and it, and that epidemic was meth. Yeah. It was crazy. I've I've done meth with so many different walks of life of people. Uh, it's just insane, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think back then, if you were someone who was doing drugs and you were someone who were doing the things that you, um, the stigma was saying you weren't supposed to do, you were just you were given up on. That's that's what it was. There was there's no way around that. That's not to say that that's not real now because it yeah. is real now too. But it's very different, and there are people who believe in you more. So you were basically told, "Hey, you're gonna have Cain. You're you might as well leave. So have a good day and and goodbye." And so, what did you do next? I mean, I mean, before all that, I mean, there was I mean, so much more before that. Um, and I do want to point out, there was a lot of people in our corner that were trying to help. You know, there there were some educators and some administrators that really did want to help, but they just didn't know how to do it. Right. You know, and by the time they figured it out, so many people were, had, it was just too late. It was just too late, you know. Do you think, so do you mean they didn't know how to figure out, like, the the drug hold itself on you? Like, how to help you guys get sober and how to manage what was going on? I think by the time they figured out that the drug problem, like, infiltrated the younger population uh-huh. as much as it did, that they were just completely overwhelmed. Yeah. You know. Well, I don't know that it was really a a thing before that. I don't know that it that it ever really happened. So what do you do with something that you don't know? Yeah. You know? Maybe that was all they knew how to do at that time. So was that the beginning of your senior year that that happened? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, probably my my actual senior year. Is that weird to think that that was 18 years ago? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cuz you're so we talked for people who don't know you guys which I'm sure most people listening do, but Kane is your oldest who just turned 18 and it will graduate high school. Hell yeah, you will. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. That gave me the chills. I cannot wait to get there. Me neither. Yeah. I cannot wait to get there. So so, so then what did you do? Well, so I think that, that, that last year, that year, that last year before Kane was probably the darkest and the most light in my life. Um, I had, was really close with the, with one of my cousins, uh, his mom died really, you know, really young and kind of left him and his sister to do their own thing. And him and I really traversed some dark, dark places. Uh, that was the first time I ever actually shot up meth. And that was your junior year. So before this is my, this is the start of my actual senior senior year. Okay. Yep. Um, so we, you know, we really took a dark turn. We started using the needle and when that aspect of the drug takes a hold of you, it completely takes you to another place. I remember not giving a fuck about whatever what everybody thought, not giving a fuck about where I was going to go, what was going to happen. It was all about the drug then, you know. And at that time, it was taking a hold of a lot of people, really, really bad. 
a lot of people close to me. Um, and but some were starting to get clean. And so that's where it kind of started making a, a division in my mind is like, I got people who are, have gone through this with me who still don't know how dark it is, but they're getting clean, you know? So I want to kind of, you know, make them, you know, I want to seek their approval, but I still want to do this, you know? And it was just super dark. I remember, you know, cause I can imagine myself. I, I, I just, every time I'd stick that needle in my arm, I was like, how the fuck am I doing this? Like I'm Jeff. This isn't what Jeff does. So many people would be disappointed about me if they knew this. Yeah. So even people, you know, I, I have a, an uncle. He's actually not my uncle. And up, up until I was like 15, I didn't even realize, I didn't find out he wasn't even related to my stepdad. But I thought he was my stepdad's <laughs> brother for most of my life. Family is family sometimes, yeah. And I credit him for helping me traverse through the darkest places in my life because he never sugarcoated anything. He taught us shit from a very young age of what, was going to be expected if we took this turn in our life. If we went down this dark road, this is, if you really want to go, here's a flashlight, basically. Yeah. Um, and I thought he would even be disappointed if he knew I was taking this needle in my arm. And I was disappointed in myself. I was disgusted. Like, how the fuck can you do this, you know? You know, going over to my mom's house to steal needles from her, you know? She didn't know I was there to steal needles. She thought I was there to say hi. Right. And, you know, it's just it, it was a dark, dark. Did point she in my life. know that you were doing that at all at the no, time? None of my family knew until I moved back home uh, ten years ago. I, I I finally felt. So they didn't know at all. Confident? No, no. Wow. I mean, I don't think so. But well, that, I'm, that's sure a drug would, addict, I'm sure they would. I'm sure. I'm sure if they knew. That's at the, the drug time. Yeah. Tell you. No, no, nobody knew. You know, nobody knew. So, but where were you? You weren't living with her when you were in high school? No, my mom, um, my mom left when I was 16. Uh, she had met, she had met a guy online in Missouri and went out there to see him for the summer. She was going to be out there for three weeks. She took my little sister and she left my little brother with me at the house. And the did she own? Did no, you guys own? It was just oh, a no, rental this, house. No, no, this is the project. Remember, <laughs> this is a Royal Drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, Royal apartment. So she was supposed to be gone for three weeks. I had my little brother with me, and the fucking first night she was gone, the apartment caught fire and completely burned down. What? Yeah. Put. I need a visual. Where is this? A Royal Drive. A Royal Drive. Yep. And it was. That's not the projects. Oh, is it? That's, that's, Why am I not thinking of the right Royal Drive? Why am I thinking behind City Market? Is that not where Royal Drive is? No, uh, Royal Drive is uh, uh, across from the high school. You go up towards Needham. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't know why I was thinking of a totally different place. I was like, um, I feel like that's like the opposite. Sorry, I needed a visual for myself. Okay, so a call fire. So continue. So yeah, I had to take care of everything because my mom had a non-transferable um, ticket. So. They wouldn't let her come back. <laughs> so, what did you guys do? Where did you go? I took my brother. I Hold took on. My brother to How my old grandma's were you house. Again? I was sixteen. Okay. I took my brother to my grandma's house, and I took care of everything as far as emptying the house, getting rid of what, what you know what was burnt, what what couldn't be saved, what could be saved. Took care of all that, and then my mom comes home and is like, you know, I'm coming home for the kids basically, and I'm moving back to Missouri. We're all going back to Missouri, so pack your shit. And I was like. Fuck that. Like, I'm not going to fucking Missouri. Oh, and right. on top of that, I was on probation for, uh, uh, I got 
I got I got my first DUID, which is driving under the influence of drugs, because. It, uh, okay, <laughs> hold on. You, gotta, you skipped that story. What? Yeah, no, so there's what, so much. There's so okay. much. That's okay. Well, we can bounce around. It doesn't <laughs> matter. So you got to tell that story though. I mean, so that's I mean that's a whole different. Uh, yeah, we did. We skipped the whole era. So I mean, <laughs> so freshman year, things are kind of normal. Sophomore year is when they kind of take a turn. So, I mean, dur yeah, during sophomore and junior year was kind of just party, like, because I think my mom had realized that she didn't have a hold on us anymore. Mm -hmm. And if she wanted to be in our life, she basically had to just let us do what we were going to do. Isn't that crazy to say out loud it when is. you were like 15, 16? And as a parent now, you're like, how did that even yeah. happen? Yeah. And so, I mean, unfortunately, rather than fight us, she just joined us. Yeah. And so we were, you know, doing a lot of shit together. You know, and yeah, so yeah, yeah, she met this fucking weirdo who I was driving home, <laughs> and I'd actually I had been up for quite a few days, and that was my first experience on Adderall. I got pulled over, and I was fucking high as a kite because I was on Adderall. I had never taken that shit before. Adderall by itself, or did you do meth too? No, so I I had been up for about five days on meth, and was coming down really hard. Oh my gosh. I was coming down really hard and my cousin was like, yo dude, I want to, I want to start selling these pills, but I don't know what to, what to charge for them. So I said, give me two and I'll let you know. You took two so Adderall. I, I took two Adderall XRs, 20 milligrams. Yeah. High as a fucking kite. High as a kite for the entire day. Went to school, went to work. And then I was heading home and I was just, I was so high that I, I did not want to be there anymore. So I was just smoking bowl after bowl after bowl of weed to try to come down. And ended up getting pulled over. Of course, my truck is full of fucking weed. And so uh, he arrests me. He can tell I was high as a kite, but I hadn't been actually doing any meth. So they couldn't find any signs of it. You know, when you smoke it, you get sores in your mouth. When you snort it, you're, you get, you know, irritation in your nose. Oh, wow. And so they really couldn't figure out what it was on. So they take me back to the police station, make me pee in a cup. And fucking, that's how I, Adderall, for you out there listening, will test positive for all four tests of methamphetamine. Really? Yes. That, that shit. That's crazy. I don't know why they give that to kids. That shit is insane. Yeah, Adderall is a but, wild um, beast of itself. So, yeah. So, I was on probation for that. And so, flash forward. My mom leaves. House burns down. She comes back. She's like, okay, packing everybody up. We're moving to Missouri. And I'm like, fuck that. First of all, I've never even been to Missouri. I heard shitty things about that state. It sucks. I'm on probation. Do you want to move me to a whole nother state right away and put me on probation? Like the, the law is going to know me. Yeah. Yeah. And so we kind of had like a falling out and I just basically told her like, I'm not going, I'm not going to go. And so she took my little brother and sister and she moved to Missouri. Where did you go? I went to, with my grandma. With your grandma? Mm -hmm. Does she live in the same area or a different area? Yeah. We grew up in the La Posta area. There was some family home down there. She yeah. took me in and, um, that was probably, I mean, you, you know, no supervision. My grandma was right. busy taking care of her dad, who had just lost his wife. We buried my, my great-grandma in 99. And, you know, this is like a 102 time, time frame, you know. And so she was busy with her dad, basically just giving me a place to, to live. So to I was, sleep, I, essentially. To sleep, yeah. yeah. And so I'm out there doing my own thing. And so, um, you know, my buddy Mike, he gets out of jail. You know, he's like, hey, you like... Let me show you what's up, man. Let me show you how to really get it done. And the needle, I think, like, you know, going back to that, it's just that. 
That's where it took off for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, so that was your, all your senior year, yep. like the beginning of your senior year. And so you met someone and then you had Kane. I met that person when I was about 15 or 16 and it was, just, that was just fuel to the fire. Well, she was course. already, she was already an, uh, an experienced addict. Yeah. And we were all just novice addicts. And so it was just fuel to the fire, fuel to the fire. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, right around 17, and then, I, I mean, that was, I was a full-blown IV drug user at 17 years old. I am watching people either sober up, go to jail, and now with this epidemic of the needle, die. Yeah. Or catch HIV, catch fucking hep C, you know, but that doesn't stop somebody who is so determined well yeah to to seek that high you're already addicted you're already in and so yeah right around right before i turned 18 is when i found well when i on my 18th birthday is when i found out that she was pregnant with kate and so what did you guys what did you do after that were you like i want to get sober now like what did that change for your life so here's the mindset and this is for everybody out there who's listening who don't don't know who does know an addict will never make that choice for himself right that's a good way to put that i never thought of it that way when you are so addicted to a substance you will always be to that substance i will never be fully recovered i will always be in recovery so why I decided to get clean was because I was about to have a child. And I still remember laying in bed, shaking, because that's what happens when you're coming off the needle. And so let's step back one second. So you decided to get clean. But what did that look like for you? That wasn't rehab, right? I didn't decide to get clean. I made the choice for Kane. Kane wanted me to get clean. So, but what? But what did that look like for you? For me, it was stop doing it. Cold turkey. Move. I had to move. I had to go to Salt Lake. So, who did you go to? Who? Where did you? Who did you go to Salt Lake? She. With? Um, it, I'm like shook over here. I'm like, wait a second. So yeah, like so when I told her, like, look. Cain deserves to come to this world to sober parents. And, he, and this child will never deserve to be around that. And we have to make this decision for him. So we have to get the fuck out of here. Like something has to give. And her mom had a friend who was doing really good for himself. And he had a kind of a same story. He was an addict. And he had met this lady. Um, and decided to change his life. And so he was a truck driver, but he bought a house in Spanish Fork, Utah. And he said, they're more than welcome to come up and stay here. We're barely here, maybe a month or, or maybe a week or two out of the month. Wow. They can come up here and figure it out, you know? So I threw everything that I could, that I can, that I possessed in a car and we fucking, we left. Wow. Uh, I did have family in Salt Lake, which is about 45 miles from uh, Spanish Fork. Who, like I've already, I've always known and been close to, but never actually like known, you know. Right. So that was a really exciting uh, aspect of it for me was to get to know my family that you know, and actually, like they're more like me than 
anybody. It was, that was the best time, the best five years, or that was the best out of that five years was getting to know them, getting clean, bringing my son into a completely sober environment, you know, and like, that was it. Like that's what keeps me clean is my kids. How, how did you get clean? So like, how, so you made the choice you knew where you knew that you were doing it for King mm -hmm. and you knew all the reasons why, but what did, how did you do it? Did you just say, I'm never taking the needle again. And then, you know, so at that point, no, nobody uh, knew that I was using the needle, but it, it was, yeah, it was, well, and I, and I had actually kicked the needle about six months before Kane was born uh, by wow. myself. And then, yeah, it was literally just don't fucking do it. And when I moved up there, you know, as like everybody that I met, I told them. And I, I think that was the, the point, or that was the beginning of here's my life story, read it, because yeah. I don't want to go back. And so telling my cousins, you know, like it doesn't matter how hard I fucking ask you, don't get me fucking dope. And all my cousins up there are super anti meth and they're like, fuck that. Like if you asked us for dope, I'd fucking chin check you anyways. You know, so it was a but very. Do you know how crazy that, like, you don't give yourself, you, I'm trying to like pull up, pull, like, I thought there would be more to that. The craziest part of that, I think, is that you literally just stop doing, you just stop doing it. Yeah. It was insane. That it was, is it, some it, serious it, mind power that you're, you're not yeah. even giving yourself that credit. Like, you just said, I'm not doing this ever again. And then, um, and then you did it. And like he said, you know, you're never fully recovered. Right. He, he wakes up every day and makes that choice for us. Yeah. For us and for our kids. And he, yeah, every day he invites that. It's just, that is a really powerful thing that a lot of people, which I'm sure you know, cannot physically and most importantly, mentally do. And so I thought you were going to say I had to sit in a dark room for five days with the shakes and all these things, but you that just... was kicking the needle. So, but what is, and what does that look like? It is, it does take like the shakes and all that. So stuff. I, I will honestly say quitting actual meth itself was so much easier than quitting the needle. Yeah. The needle, it entailed shakes and, um, you know, DTs, you're hearing shit, you're seeing shit. Uh, you shoot water, you get a tattoo. Just yeah. so you can feel that needle hit your skin. Did anybody help you, like do like give you ideas of things to do, or did you just figure out on your own what you have yeah, to? Yeah, my, my buddy Mike was the one who told me to try shooting water and get a tattoo, get a tattoo and, and yeah. those kinds of things, mm -hmm. and then you just so, kind of because it's uh, what what makes you what why the needle is so addictive is you not only the anticipation of the drug that you're about to inter, inject into your vein, but when you poke yourself and you're fishing that needle around in your vein, your brain's releasing serotonin and, yes. oxy, and oxytocin. Yeah. And so you're getting an extra little kick. But then when you push that plunger down, it's going to be like nothing you've ever experienced. That you can never get from smoking it. You can never get from snorting it. You can never get from doing a hot rail or eating a bomb. Nothing like that. It's... So you... So when you did it with water, you still got the serotonin. Right. You still got that small part of it. Right. And then you but just. But you're taking away that rush of pushing the plunger down. You know, because so, it's just water. And then you continue to just kind of move out of that. And then, wow, that is, that is wild. Yep. That is like a story that I have never. Of all the documentaries and things that I have read and all that stuff, 
usually someone can't get sober like yeah. that. I mean, it's close to impossible. I know. I've watched many A&E documentaries, and I'm like, yeah. fuck these pussies, dude. Like, they're, <laughs> they're, sit, they're sitting in a fucking $20,000 a month right. fucking rehab center, you know, with silk sheets on their beds and shit. I kicked that fucking drug on a fucking, on a goddamn pull-out couch, you yeah. know, like, not well, even and I think house, you, you, know? you had a really big want and need, and probably two things. One, you probably didn't want to give your son the same childhood and experience you had. And two, you wanted to give him a better life. And those are powerful things for someone that came from what you came from. Well, those are powerful words that, my, that I remember hearing from my mom at a very young age is being a, success, a successful parent is simply giving your children everything that you didn't have. Right. No matter how small that is. No matter how small that is. And so. you knew a lot of the things that you didn't have and the things that you didn't have that you wanted and needed. And so it's also powerful that you were able to say, I want to change because I want to do that. I want to be this person because you could have easily told his mom, have a good day. Like, you know, yeah. see you later. You could have walked away and you didn't. Yeah. So that just says who you are as a man and as a dad, you know, and you're very humble. You tell your story like as if, you know, you're not, it's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal because yeah. you really could have said, this is not my problem. This is your problem. And well, I, I feel very strongly that as much as you need these stories of, you know, you know, even going back to like, uh, Einstein and fucking, uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Like, yeah, these guys did amazing things. Those are positive role models to look, you know, to aspire to People need negative role models too. They need somebody to be like, "Yeah, I don't want to." This be like is that. my story. Do you want to go through that? Yeah. Do you want to? Because it sucked. Yeah. You know, I put it out there so that way maybe somebody can help somebody out. You know, listen to somebody else. I remember one time I was working in uh, at a Home Depot. Well, I did chem dry carpet cleaning. I was cold selling, and the Tres Puntos tattoo that a lot of, you know, us Chicanos rock on our hands. This super old white lady was looking at it, you know, and she, I can tell she was kind of standoffish and she was asking about my other tattoos and then she finally worked up the courage to ask about it and, you know, what it meant. And so I explained it to her and, you know, right away we started talking and it was because her daughter was dating somebody who she didn't really like and he had that tattoo on his hand and so she mm. wanted to know where it came from what it meant you know and so just something that small you know me helping this lady understand what her daughter's going through right by just telling, telling her, your story telling it. being you know, honest why, about why it. be why be ashamed yeah you know if i was ashamed of it i shouldn't have done it well i think yeah yeah you're fine we're gonna take a break all right, we're back. We just had a, a quick little bathroom break. So, okay, let's go back to, um, we've bounced around a lot. Oh my goodness. <laughs> she's talking now. She's she's in it with us. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go back to, so you were in Utah for five years and then is that when you came back here? Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, Utah, like I said, was really good. You know, getting to know my family. I was stayed clean. You know, I mean, obviously, I've always smoked a little pot, drank, um, dabbling a little cocaine here and then. But 
meth is the biggest thing. And, and for five years, I literally led a meth-free life. Uh, and, and being clean and sober, you're able to like see everything clear and you can see a future and I can see exactly what I wanted. And that's what I, what I wanted was to stay clean, raise my kids. Um, you know, I, I knew it wasn't going to be with their mother, but you know, that people go through that all, all every the day, time. Every yeah. day. People raise kids all by themselves all the time. So, yeah. it was, you know, that wasn't a, a big thing for me. Um, but when we actually split, you know, because it happened so like, I mean, it all led up to this boiling point, but then just happened, boom. You know, but she up and left, and she wanted to move back to Arizona. And I knew that, you know, I from everything that I've seen before, like, women always have the upper hand. Right. Uh, you know, because that's just the way the courts see it. And, you know, I knew if I, I, knew if I let my kids leave, that I was never going to see them. And so I, I had no choice but to leave as well. You know, I, I, I had a... I had a Good place in Utah. I was in a good place in my life in Utah, but my kids are most important. And at this time, I had Kane, and then uh, Cruz was what, eighteen months, a uh, year, year and a half, or something like that. <coughs> and so she up and took off to Arizona. So I had no choice but to follow her. Um, but you know, I, I I knew ultimately, like I wanted to raise my kids back here in Colorado. It was just a matter of how am I going to make that happen. And so just taking what I've always been, you know, what I've learned through my life. My, my mother's taught me. My mother's taught me to be, you know, play dirty sometimes. Right. <laughs> if you have right. to play dirty, play dirty because, you know, it's all about winning, you know, getting what you want. And so I did. I was able to um, leave Arizona and come back to Durango. I moved back in 2011. Um, still sober? Still sober. But that is... And with my kids, that is where the notion of always in recovery, never recovered comes into play. I had not seen a bag of meth. I hadn't seen a pipe, a needle, nothing in almost six years. And just like that, Mm. I was able to slip right back into it. You know, and it was like, in my mind, a day hadn't even passed. Right. I knew exactly how to mix it up. I knew exactly how to find my vein. You came back to that place. You know, it was so easy. But I was able to like, uh, you know, um, like bargain with myself. Like, oh, it's it's when my kids aren't around. You know, right. because now, you know, I, you know, because she, of course, had come back and it fought me on some custody issues. So she had the kids sometimes. And so when they, she had the kids, you know, it was like, Oh, daddy can play, you know, I yeah. can do whatever I want. And so I was so amazed on how I was able to slip right back into it and not just to just, you know, snorting it or smoking it. It was right back to the needle, you know, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the universe, the universe has its own ways of, you know, making you open your eyes and my body has some really, really strange side effects when I'm on meth. And, oh, wow. Uh, stuff that I don't like. I don't like to be high. I don't like to come down. I just don't like the drug. But I know from that instance, from, you know, be, being five years, it's almost six years completely sober to right back into it. Like it's that easy. 
Yeah, wow. So to just trust my instincts, trust my body, you know, trust my family. There's reasons why I need to be clean, you know. It's just. And so is that when you told your family that you were doing that you were doing meth again? Did you say, you know, how did you get clean that time? I haven't actually uh, admitted to anybody other than my wife and I think one or two of my cousins that I fell off the wagon. I'm actually ashamed of that. Oh my gosh. And you you want me to tell you, you're going to tell everybody now? Are you ready for that in your life? Look at him now, though. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, because, yeah, if, if what, they're, what they picture me as now, if that has any effect on it, then I don't really want him in my life anyway. Because wow. they know the struggles I go through. They know how hard it is. Yeah. You know, and they know what, it, what, I, what I do and why I do it. You know? So how did you get clean that time? The same way you got clean the first time? Yeah, I met this really amazing woman who um, painted this... Uh, beautiful beautiful picture of a life that she wanted and a life that she wanted with me with some very serious consequences i assume that's <laughs> zoe if uh, I'm, because i'm like, like i know, i know her and if you're talking about somebody else and it, <laughs> yeah and it, i'm like <laughs> just making sure and it's not and it's not like she's you know one of these old like you can't do this type no it's, no it's no, not, no. It, it's her opinion matters as well and she doesn't want that in her life yeah. She's not telling me you can't do meth. But what she's telling me, and it's very a very good point, is I don't want that in my life. Yeah. And so if I want to be in her life, then that then I have to be sober, clean. And and it's not that I have to, it's I want to be. I want to be a part of my children's lives and my grandchildren's lives. I want to grow old with this woman. And I want to die happy with her. And so all those things basically, you know. Six members of my family <laughs> is is what keeps me clean and sober. Wow. So did you when when all of that happened, you still had like you the kids split time, they went with their mom, they went with you, you met Zoe, and so did you do it the same way? You just stopped doing it? Yep. Even the needle? You just you knew how to do it and so you did it again? Yep. You did it twice the same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is I, I just think that is strength is what it is, you know, and it's kind of like what Zoe said earlier and what you have said, you have to do that every day because you know how easily you can slip back into it. So do you still hang out with the same people that you did that stuff with? You oh, know, only if they're clean as well. Wow. And I have a quite a, quite a few of them who are clean that I hang out with still. That's amazing. You know, and um, unfortunately, statistics always come into play. Like, there's a lot of people that um, I used to get high with that are clean and sober and lead lead really successful, healthy lives. But we did have a couple of casualties, you know. And unfortunately, you know, somebody very close to me had a, a, a traumatic experience a couple years ago. Uh, she had fell off the wagon, was getting high with somebody, and suffered a very traumatic brain injury. She almost died on us. And we were told that when she came back, she wasn't going to come back at all. Wow. Was pretty much going to be a vegetable. Unfortunately, she's made more strides than that, but she really can't still talk. She can't use the left side of her body. 
Wow, that's she's, really scary. You know, her, she can't take care of her children when she has three. And so, I mean, it is, it is a very, very dark reminder that no matter how hard you try, it can happen. Yeah. You know, I think when you, when you look at the world now and you look at when you did meth, even 10 years ago, you knew that you were buying meth. Now, you don't know if you are buying just meth. That is terrifying. And it's like, it gives me the chills because I obviously have a teenager. You have two teenagers. And it's scary because it really does just take the wrong crowd in a small town to really just change who you are. You could come from the best family. And that means, right, like the picture book. Picture book. You, your mom and your dad are still married. You have a cookie cutter house. They have good jobs. And if you get in with the wrong crowd or you just are trying to deal with your own inner inside emotions that you don't know how to vocalize, you might just want to escape your life. And so let's say you get into the bad side of, of that. If you go to buy meth, it's probably not just meth. I, I think about that sometimes. Like how, how crazy would it have been if it was like that all the time? Like we bought drugs from so many different people. We've, I've actually snorted a line of fucking Pepto-Bismol because somebody told us it was a bubblegum crank. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, <laughs> I did a giant line of fucking ketamine because somebody told us it was cocaine. Like, but I, you know, I lived through that because it wasn't right. fentanyl. Yeah, that's what's... So, you know, I think one of the biggest things about you sharing your story, too, is that we have so many moms who are out there who have teenagers, and these things are not really taught. There's no book on how to raise your kids correctly. There's no book on how to raise your kids if they're in this crowd or that crowd. Um, there's also no... There's no book that says, how do you know if your kids are doing drugs? How do you know if you're over-parenting or you're under-parenting? You know, there's just, there's no, there's no guidelines. So I think you sharing your story helps people to understand, okay, I know what he went through and where he is now. And it's like thinking back to, do my kids have enough, enough supervision? So how do you guys do that with your teenagers? Like, do you feel like you have to over like helicopter parent them? Or do you, like, what does that look like for you? And you don't have to get specifics. It's more so just like as a dad, knowing that a lot of what you did was because you had zero supervision. How do you supervise your teenagers? Uh, for me personally, it's been, you know, spending one-on-one -on -one time with them. You know, finding something that you that you guys agree on and, and focus on that. But you, nobody can overparent. If you overparent, that's, you're going to push them away further. But especially, you know, Cruz is younger, but I, I really think that Kane is the way that he is because he knows your whole story. You haven't hid anything from him. He knows the good and the bad and the horrible things that have happened. And like, I don't know. I think that's just like, he wants to be so much like you, but he also knows what he doesn't want to do. Yeah. He, he wants to be like you now. Yeah. yeah. He wants. And, and so how old was he when you told him the truth about your life? Or just, or did you always tell him the truth? I've always told him the truth. Because you guys grew up questions. together. Yeah. I've always told him the truth. And we are, we get a lot of one-on-ones when we, when we hunt. We share, we, we, keep, we uh, you know, we'll, we'll save really deep stuff. 
to talk about when we're out hunting. Well, that's really and so cool. we've shared a lot of <clears throat> really personal stories up in the mountains. So he's a senior and he will graduate high school. No, he's a he's a junior. He's a junior oh, he's year. a junior. Okay. Yeah, he he got held back. But that's okay. <laughs> he was only a kindergarten, so it didn't matter. But yeah, well, he, yeah, that doesn't matter. Everybody used to hold their kids back in kindergarten. That doesn't. He's he's on an amazing track. Does he know what he wants to do like after next year? That's such a hard question. I think he's trying to put it together. I think he's divided on whether he wants to stay or leave. And depending on whether he stays or leaves is what is going to drive him to do what he wants to do. But he's going to graduate. Yeah. So how cool is that for you? And And your mom, too. Yeah. And not only is he on track and going to graduate, but he's held – now he works two jobs. He's had a job since his freshman year that he's kept the whole time. Now he has two. So – yeah, like he'll get up and take his little brother, brother to school and go to school himself, go to work. We don't even see him sometimes. He won't get home till 10 at night. And then he goes down and does schoolwork and goes to sleep. That is a staple, though, for what you – he didn't just wake up and start doing that, you know? You did that. Kane is the beginning to my success story. Yeah, that's amazing. And I don't think he will even understand that, like, fully until he – like, that makes me want to cry, until he becomes a parent. Yeah. That's the hardest the hardest job you'll ever have is being a parent. Yeah. And yeah. it's because you want them to do exactly what your mom said. Yeah. Just the little things that you might not have even done for yourself. And you a lot of your story is because of traumas that weren't yours, but that you were trying to navigate. And the world then and the world now are so different. And a lot of that is because people don't want to talk about the hard. Right? Yeah. Your story is you're going to walk in a city market and people are going to hear this and they're going to know that you did this and you walk in so proud, but you also get to tell people, look, yeah, it's hard, but you can do it. And I'm here to, to teach you that and show you that. And everybody has a different heart in their life, right? Not everybody's stories are going to be similar or the same, but yours is very different because one, you're telling it. And so that's what puts you aside. You're also very humble about it. You don't talk about it in how amazing it really is to see how strong you work twice you know and so so what do you do now you work now you guys have a wait i know i asked a question but how long have you guys been together i don't think i know that almost six years married for four married for almost four wow and you have five kids yeah (laughs) three babies in three years (laughs) That's a that's a lot of babies, but then they'll be nice and close in age too, you know. So and you have two teenagers, so that on its own. Well, we've got a teenager and an adult. <laughs> I know that's weird to say. So what do you? So what is next? Are you guys just kind of living, enjoying life? Like what is? If we talked a little bit the other day about what you would want to do. So for for me, that is that's exactly what I'm doing is living life, enjoying it. I, you know. Just yesterday, we took a trip to Farmington, and you know we we're just going up for, uh, you know, I, I roll my own cigarettes because they're nine dollars a pack now, and so we That's go up crazy. there. It's a lot cheaper, and so we were just gonna go get some tobacco and some tubes, but you know we ended up taking a trip to the mall, and it wasn't like we were on our shopping spree, but you know we went to a store, we got Letty some shoes, we got Maddie a couple outfits, I got a pair of jeans, you know we got some lunch, and. That right there, like being able to do all that without having to check my bank account, to 
wonder like, oh man, if we spend this money now, like, are we going to have gas for the week? Are we going to have groceries? Are we still going to be able to do this? Are we still going to do that? Like that for me is living life and it's not the money. Well, of course not. It's yeah. the peace of mind that we've built together. Yeah. On this life that we've built together that we are comfortable enough to just enjoy life. We were both raised by. We both came from there. From, yeah, struggling. You know, I remember getting, I remember getting food stamps from the fucking tooth fairies. <laughs> you know, like when you left your tooth. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember actual food stamps? Look like Monopoly money. I, I wish I could say yes, okay. but no, I never have. So yeah, they. I they, didn't know that they, they used to send you. You had to like take them like a coupon. Yeah, they take them at the store. You can you can only buy food with them. They didn't charge you tax, which was cool. Like I thought I was gonna get picked on. Because I was getting food stamps from the toothberry, but everybody thought, everybody thought it was cool as shit because I didn't get charged tax. You know, <laughs> oh like these are the kinds of the small things that my mom was able to do for me. Right, the little things. The little things that like I took for granted then, but I don't now. You right. Know, because I think like she was doing it for me. That's she all was she giving could do me for everything you. that she didn't have. Not yeah. to say that my grandma didn't give her a great upbringing, but my grandma was going through her own hardships. Yeah. And so they had their own share of neglects and hardships that my mom made sure that we didn't have. And if that meant being on fucking food stamps and wig and all this, then that's what it meant. Yeah. But I still got something under my pillow. Something what still I came. my tooth, you know? That's right. Well, and I think there's something to be said that even though you know how hard your childhood was, now that you are a parent, all you see from your mom was all the good that she did. But it literally 100%. took you to become... I feel like I've apologized to my mom more now that I have a teenager than ever. It truly becomes until you have a teenager and your kids of your own, do you understand, wow, I saw my mom as a totally different person today than I did 10 years ago. And you're like, I, I maybe was like an asshole then, you yeah. know, because <laughs> yep. when you're a kid, you see things as why can't I have what they have? Or I want this or I want that. And you soak in that. When you become a parent, you're like, wow, my mom went through some shit. And that is what happened with your mom, you know? When you even go all the way back to the beginning of her story, 14 years old is, that's, it's crazy. Yeah. And her story, I mean, it was, it's exactly like yours. She was just not given the best hand to start with. And she did the best with what she had. And now you have built something that is 10 times what you had. And that is success. Well, you know, I always hear too, but she's, she used to always tell me when we were little is, you know, don't think about what you don't have. Think about what you do have because Hito, you have to always think about the kids who have it worse than you. Because no matter how hard you have it or you may think you have it, somebody out there does have it worse. That's absolutely true. It is. And it's a good way to to think about what you have and to appreciate it. I mean, I remember, I remember her. Um, one, one, one. It was just one memory. She, these two kids that I used to hang out with, you know, she, my mom went, brought them back to the house, and we fed them dinner. And I really didn't understand what was going on until later on. You know, their mom was passed out drunk in the house. And had locked him out, you know. And my mom brought him and she fed him. And, you know, she was able to get a hold of this lady's sister and this and that. And, like, 
And I just remember the look that she gave me. And it wasn't one of the times that she said, remember what you have. But it was that look. Like, see, see what I mean? This is what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. And just be humble. You know, she never, she never said anything to that lady about it. You know, I never said anything to those kids about it later on. You know, and those kids ended up being like fucking punks. I ended up fighting one of them, you know. And I remember being like, fuck you, dude. Like, my mom fucking fed you one time yeah. because you're a fucking drunk-ass mom, you know. But I never said that because that's not how, that's not what I took from that moment. Right. What I took from that moment was be humble and pay it forward because there will always be somebody who has it worse than you. Yeah. Always. So I feel like we could talk about we could talk until yeah. the end of time. Yeah. I want to end this one with something special. And I feel like um, a lot of people are going to not say, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, I love this one. It helped me as a parent. Because um, that's just kind of what we do as parents, right? We don't always take things the way that we should. If you could give advice to the mom who has the child who just started hanging out with the wrong crowd. And as a mom who is always there, you know, like, you know, when your kids are hanging out in the wrong crowd, what would you say to that mom to help them parent that child from, from the perspective of you as the kid hanging out with the wrong crowd? Um, be involved in, don't always be involved to make your kid happy. And I think that's where my mom went wrong. I, I feel like she felt like she was losing us. And the only way to to stay involved was to kind of like, you know. Be your friend. Be our friend. And that's one thing that Zoe's really, really helped me with this, these last couple of years is because me and Kane were tight. We're more like friends than anything. And Kane would talk to me like a friend. He'd be like a friend sometimes. He does it too. And so to be involved, but to also remember that you are the parent. And you have the right to say, or to ask the questions, who, yeah. what, where, when, and why. That is so powerful. And I just, I feel like that gave me chills on a different way, just because sometimes you think that you're being too over, like, not that you're over parenting, but you feel like you're doing, you're asking too much, you're doing too yeah. much, and you're pushing that. And it's scary because when always? you have teenagers you it, it is scary because you lose them in a way that you never had before yeah. you love yeah. having your kids sit on your lap and <laughs> and then all of a sudden they become these little people and so now you realize that it is your job to ask who what where why how that's your job yeah. you don't get to be their friend yeah i always say like my mom was the the perfect mix of friend and parent like I, I don't know if it's because most of the time it was just me and her. Like, after my sister left, it was just the two of us. But I, you know, I always viewed her as my mom, but I also knew that, like, I, I could tell her things. And she would react how she should, I guess. Like, in, I guess how I was expecting. And that's, so I feel like Jeff and I try really hard, really hard to keep that balance with, you know, we have babies. But... Kenny Cruz. Yeah, and I mean that's my goal with them is just knowing as they get older, like of course we're always gonna be your parents and we're gonna tell you when you're doing something wrong, but I just I want them to always know that they can come to us. Yeah. When they need you. Yeah, I just think it's a it's a scary world parenting teenagers right now and it takes a village. 
And I find myself a lot of times, especially now, wanting to thank my mom for not being my friend. Thank you for asking why, what, when. Thank you for helicoptering me 24-7. I think I've said that in my mind lately, the last couple weeks more than I ever have, having these conversations. And I, when I was 12, 13, I hated that. And so now I know there's just so many different ways that it can go for you, you know, having those things. Um, Anyways, man, I really get off track a lot, but um, I want to thank you for sharing your story. It's powerful. I think you don't give yourself, you're very humble. (laughs) And I think that's probably why you're so strong, but you are very humble. And I think you have a lot to offer the community. And I think you should really fight that fight to talk in schools, talk to parents you know, um, I, would, I would love to do that. I would, I, I would talk to anybody who wanted to listen. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll find some ways for that to happen. I think it's important. And I think, you know, maybe we have to clean the F words up a little bit at the high schools, but maybe we don't, who yeah, knows? You know, you know what I mean? They these, say it these kids are good. <laughs> the kids know. Anyways. Um, thanks to Jeff and Zoe and sweet little baby. Look, at, she's so good. She's made like three sounds. <laughs> she's a very good baby. She's she's definitely our calmest one. She uh, really is very calm. I want to say thank you for having me. I mean, absolutely. I, I I have I have very much shared my story, and it wasn't up until today that I realized that I did do it twice. You did it twice. You know, I don't do I don't always think about that. That last slip up is like. <sighs> I guess it just slips my mind, but yeah, I did. I did do it twice. So to everybody out there who knows somebody who's going through it, who's going through it themselves, like it can be done if you really want to be, if you really want to quit. Yeah. You really want to leave it behind, you can. It doesn't control you. You control it. I love that. I think also you just, you have so much to be proud of. And I think that there are more people who would rather talk to someone who maybe didn't go to rehab or didn't have resources. Yeah. You you got sober the way you did because you didn't have a choice. And there are more people, I think, out there who need help in that sense than people who can afford to go to rehab or do it other ways. Yeah. And sometimes people go to rehab five, six, seven times. Yeah. Well, you did it twice cold turkey, so you have a lot to be proud rehab of. Rehab is expensive, and uh, I know this is, might sound really corny, but uh, Haystack has a song out. It's a really old song. It's called My First Day. What? Who is the band? Uh, he calls himself Haystack. Big Haystack. Old, he's a big, oh, old, big old white rapper from Tennessee. Um, and I, like I said, it might sound really corny, but if you're struggling, if you know somebody who's struggling, listen to that song. Is that the same person as Jelly Roll? He's Jelly Roll's best friend. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure because I know he has a similar but story. That song really did help me. And even when I hear it to this day, it takes me back to 2006, 2005, 2006, 2005, those first couple months of being like, okay, like this is a different life that I'm about to enter. And it's scary. And I don't know what's to come, but it's going to be better. Yeah. And it's worth it. I'm going to make sure when I um, drop this one in a couple days, I'll put the name of that song in there and then maybe just all your information. I am going to do this the correct way. If people want to reach out to you or they have questions, maybe they're going through things, 
Are you okay with them finding you on Facebook or? Please do. You'll never find me on any social media because I don't exist on those okay. social media. But you can find me. You can find me at the Wild Horse. I'm the uh, I'm the only Chicano bouncer over there. <laughs> or you can find Zoe. I'm El Jefe. You can find me at the Wild Horse, and I will talk to you anytime. Oh you my want. gosh, I love that. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for coming and sharing your story, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you.